Hello, and welcome to another episode of Fireside Poems. I'm Dr. J. Today's poem is Longfellow's Curfew. As a teacher of English, I enjoy curfew because it draws on Longfellow's knowledge of the etymology of its title word, curfew. It comes from two old French words, couvrir, to cover, and fur, fire. During Europe's Middle Ages, a bell was rung in cities and villages to tell the residents that it was time to cover their fires. That is, it was time for them to knock their fires down to glowing embers and then cover the embers with ash. In the morning, the ashes would be blown off and kindling laid on the still glowing embers to bring the fire back to life. The ringing of curfew bells continued beyond the Middle Ages, signaling the time when good citizens should be home a time that continued to coincide with the covering of the household fire, though no longer mandating it. It's the end of the day and time for bed. For Longfellow, particularly in the early part of his life, the night was the better time of day, free from cares and responsibilities. Curfew, like many of Longfellow's poems, is divided into two parts that mirror each other. In this poem, they do so exactly. The first half is about daily life. The second half is about writers and their books. Let's listen. Curfew by Henry Wadsworth Longfellow Solemnly, mournfully, dealing its dole, The curfew bell is beginning to toll. Cover the embers and put out the light. Toil comes with the morning, and rest with the night. Dark grow the windows, and quenched is the fire. Sound fades into silence, all footsteps retire. No voice in the chambers, no sound in the hall. Sleep and oblivion reign over all. 2. The book is completed and closed like the day, and the hand that has written it lays it away. Dim grow its fancies, forgotten they lie, like coals in the ashes, they darken and die. Song sinks into silence, the story is told, the windows are darkened, the hearthstone is cold. Darker and darker, the black shadows fall. Sleep and oblivion reign over all. We have a cultural stereotype of the troubled poet. We don't think of this figure as an actually successful poet, or even as a working poet, but rather as someone indulging himself in his own drama of sensitivity. And certainly, there are enough of this type to be found in the world's high schools, colleges, and bars to justify the stereotype. I was probably one such myself in my teens and twenties. Yet there is some truth to the cliché. Longfellow was privately criticized by his friend Emerson for being too content, and certainly his readers thought him to be the model of a healthy life. 
and I think he was. But a healthy life and an untroubled life are not the same things. The second half of curfew is surprisingly dark, even disconcertingly dark. The first half reflects a thought familiar in Longfellow, that the evening is a time of calm and peace after the hurly-burly of the day. Yet the second half doesn't exactly affirm that. There is no sense in the second half that the embers will come back to life in the morning. There is only darkness and coldness. Longfellow felt no need, apparently, to add some hopeful word. For that, we can be grateful. When we ourselves are feeling this way, we don't need some note of cheer we don't ourselves feel. We need to know someone else feels as we do. And when it isn't ourselves, but someone we know and care about who feels this way, it's good to know they aren't alone. As the good Duke says in Shakespeare's As You Like It, no one is alone unhappy. Let's listen again to this surprisingly melancholy poem. Curfew by Henry Wadsworth Longfellow Solemnly, mournfully, dealing its dole, the curfew bell is beginning to toll. Cover the embers and put out the light. Toil comes with the morning and rest with the night. Dark grow the windows, and quenched is the fire. Sound fades into silence, all footsteps retire. No voice in the chambers, no sound in the hall. Sleep and oblivion reign over all. 2. The book is completed and closed like the day, and the hand that has written it lays it away. Dim grow its fancies, forgotten they lie. Like coals in the ashes, they darken and die. Song sinks into silence. The story is told. The windows are darkened. The hearthstone is cold. Darker and darker the black shadows fall. Sleep and oblivion reign over all. One of the pleasures of Longfellow's poetry is the variety of verse forms he employs. Many poets have a particular verse form we associate with them, but with Longfellow, there are a number of verse forms we associate with him. The trochaic tetrameter of the Song of Hiawatha, the dactylic hexameter of Evangeline and the courtship of Miles Standish, the ballad meter of the village blacksmith and the wreck of the Hesperus. His cycle, the saga of King Olaf, alone uses a dozen different verse forms. Each verse form is identified by its combination of meter and rhyme. I challenged my students to work out the meter and rhyme of the different poems we read, but I never asked them to scan the technical term for identifying a particular poem's verse form, curfew. I can't do it myself in any way that makes sense. Yet there is a regularity to it. I not only sense this, but know it from discovering that I can sing it, syllable for syllable, to the tune of one of America's great songs, 
Dark as a Dungeon, written by the folk musician Merle Travis. As its title suggests, it also is pretty dark. Instead of my usual sign-off, I'll leave you until next episode with a few bars of it. Come and listen, you fellers, so young and so fine, and seek not your fortunes in the dark dreary mines. It'll form as a habit and seep in your soul till the stream of your blood runs as black as the coal, where it's dark as a dungeon. And damp as the dew Where the danger is double And pleasures are few Where the rain never falls And the sun never shines Well, it's dark as a dungeon Way down in the mine There's many a man I have known in my day who lived just to labor his whole life away.